Good morning, everybody. Good to see everyone here. Hey, we are in our third week of our series on Jonah. Jonah, you can't run. Well, you can run. You can run from God, but you can't hide. That's the problem, right? Well, we're, we've been looking at this, uh, this particular book in the Bible on this runaway prophet. And it, well, let me just give you a little quick recap in case you're new to the story here. In Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible tells us, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, and said, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. See, the people of Nineveh were bad. I mean, they were really evil people. Uh, they, it, was, it was known in that day that uh, Nineveh, the capital city of the Syrian empire, they would, when they went in to conquer a town or a village, they would rape the women, torture the children, skin the men alive. They would cut their heads off, pile them up at the front of the city gates and say, we were here. We conquered this city. And God told Jonah to go to Nineveh. But instead of taking a mission trip to Nineveh, he instead decides to go on a cruise in the Mediterranean on his way to Tarshish. And in that boat, God sent this storm that hit the high seas, and the boat was breaking apart. The crew began to throw things overboard, and Jonah said, throw me, because I'm actually the problem. I've turned my back on listening to God and obeying God. If you throw me overboard, maybe the storm will stop. And so reluctantly, that's the very thing they did. They threw Jonah overboard. And you remember a huge fish ends up swallowing him. We're not sure if it was uh, you know, something that exists today or something that was extinct. We're not exactly sure what that fish was or whether it was a whale. But he spent three days and three nights in this fish. And then it says in the last verse of chapter 2, and the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. And that's where we're going to pick up today, is he picks himself up. He has this second chance at obeying God, and we see this beautiful picture of God's grace unfold in his life. And it's a beautiful picture of grace that is waiting to unfold in your life. Let's start in Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. The scripture says this, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Now, I just want to stop there because I just love that verse. The second time. God gave him a second time chance. Where is it in your life today that you need God to give you a second chance? See, the one who didn't deserve it, the one who ran in the opposite direction, the one that would not obey God was the very one that God gave a second chance to. And often we struggle, don't we, at giving people second chances? I mean, if someone has offended you, it's easy, isn't it, to pull back emotionally and it, won't, it doesn't matter what they say or do or how bad they want to apologize. We just go, nope, you crossed the line, and now I'll remember it forever. You know, we do it in our marriages. People sin against, you know, our spouse sins against us. We file it away. We put it in our back pocket. And, and even if they apologize and they, they repent, 
when they do something else that reminds us of what they already did, we pull that out, we add it to the list, and we go, you owe me, you owe me. Or maybe it's at work or in any other thing, but it's just that when people rub you the wrong way, it's easy to hold it and not to give that second chance. And that's what I love about God. God is, is actually easier to please than anybody else in your life. It's amazing to me. That's why I always try to remind myself, don't try and please people. They're too hard to please. Just please you, God. I just want to please you with my life. I was thinking about my dad when it comes to second chances. And uh, I was talking to a friend about my dad recently, and I love my dad dearly. Uh, he's not yet a Christian. I continue to pray for him uh, that, that that will happen because God has given him second chance after second chance after second chance. And I was thinking about that when I first became a Christian. I was 19 years old, 1981. Uh, I was... Uh, the first in my family. In my family, you know, we have a tough background. Many of you do as well. I mean, my parents got a divorce when I was 11. My dad had an affair. Uh, and so be, our, our family just began to spin out of control, both for uh, dad and his girlfriend and mom and her, her, her heart being shattered and, of course, all of us kids and everybody's life just started to spin out of control uh, with addictions and with anger and with uh, all kinds of issues, you know, and uh, we were probably the typical broken, blended American family piled high and deep with unresolved anger and hurts and then masking it through drugs and alcohol abuse and trying to make as much money as possible in the midst of all that, you know, kind of living that double life. And, but God, but God intervened and God intersected in my life through uh, this elderly lady by the name of Joe Nelson, who I was renting a room from in California. And, uh, and during that particular summer, uh, she explained to me through the brokenness and the imperfectness and the sin of her own life how God intersected her life. And so as she's explaining this to me, I, I gave my heart to, to Christ on that day and became a Christian. And the cool thing, though, is that as as that happened in my life, it began to happen in my brother's life, my sister's life, her husband's life. Then we got married in, in our spouse's life and in their family's life. And all of these people are intersecting with dad. And, and when, he, when I first became a Christian, he thought, like many people do, when you hear of someone becoming a Christian and you're not one, oh, that's so good. I'm so happy for you. You know, like it's this nice little religious experience that you really needed it. You know, I'm really glad you found God, you know, in your life because you were a jerk and you needed something like that. And I just think he thought it would fade away, you know. But it just kept growing and it was real. And, you know, it happened to everybody around him, every single one of his kids and uh, my mom and my stepdad and uh, his, his uh, new wife. And then he adopted a little girl, and she became a Christian, and my, my, my new sister, and everybody, his friend who he used to do drugs with, his best friend, became a Christian about two years before he passed away. Second chance after second chance after second chance. I love the fact that God is a God of second chances. Maybe you're here today. You need a second chance. This is a second chance because God is speaking to you. 
his love for you and his desire for you to know him. And for some of us today, we're going to invite Christ into our life because those second chances, you don't know whether that second chance will be there for you next year or next month. Today is a day that you, have, that you, that you grab hold of a second chance that God gives you. What are you waiting for? Today is the day to surrender your life to Christ. Today is the day to become a new believer in Him. And uh, as I look at our own family, and I see it, it wasn't a flash in the pan. I mean, five years, 10 years, 20 years, over 30 years now that myself and my brothers, two of them are now church planners and pastors, whereas we were hellions growing up in trouble with the law and all kinds of stuff. And it's like God can come in and sweep through a family and redeem it and change it, where it's not some little religious experience. It's life transformation waiting to happen in your life. Others of you, like Jonah, you've been in fellowship with God. You know God, but you've been running the opposite direction. You've been dragging your feet. Jonah said, you remember in the belly of the well, what I have vowed I will make good? That's when, when you look up here and you see some of these shoes up here, they represent individual decisions of people in our church that have said, I'm going to quit running from God. I'm going to quit dragging my feet. I'm going to quit delaying all my obedience. I'm going to do what God says to do, say what he says to say, go where he says to go. And so people have brought shoes up here just to represent that as a stake in the ground to say, I'm, I'm not going to run from God any longer. It's not too late to bring your shoes up here and do that. We'll end up giving them away, of course, to serve Spokane. But, you know, sometimes it's those tangible things that we do to make a faith statement that really solidifies that decision. Verse 2 says, Arise, go to Nineveh, Jonah, that great city, and call out against it in the message that I will tell you. Arise and go. Part of walking out our Christian faith is getting up, going, going outside the walls of any church building and telling people about this good news. So you have been entrusted with the best news on the planet, that there's hope, that there's an afterlife, that there's heaven, that there's love in God's presence, that there's forgiveness for now, that there's grace, that there's mercy, that we are called to go, to arise and go, to speak about the greatness of our God, to share good news, to bring shalom, to inspire people to say yes to God. And whenever God comes to you and he gives you a second chance, there's only one rational thing to do, and that is to give it away. Make sure others know as well that there are second chances because God is a second chance God. There are those of us here this morning that if we'll just listen to the voice of the Spirit, God has something for you to do. God has somewhere for you to go. God has something for you to give. God has maybe somebody that you need to apologize to. He has some sin he wants you to repent from. There's always something God is speaking if we'll be listening, if we'll just listen. Don't delay. Don't drag your feet. Get up, arise, go, do it, do it now. The scripture says, don't let the sun go down. Go immediately. See, if you don't, 
what happens is when we drag our feet, we talk ourselves out of the very thing we need to do. Why did God call Nineveh great? Nineveh was horrible. Well, it was great in its cultural influence. Nineveh, as I said, was a capital city uh, in the Syrian Empire, and it was over probably at least, well, we know, minimum of 120,000 people, and it was a cultural center of influence. So it was great in that respect. And some people would say it was one of the most historic cities in influencing other people. It was surrounded by walls, seven and a half miles in circumference. It was a three-day journey to cross it. It was a big city. And there it was like a fortress. And God was saying, now what I want you to do, Jonah, is go to Nineveh, this cultural center of influence, this great city. And yes, it might be intimidating. Yes, it might not be comfortable. It may be inconvenient. But I want you to obey me, and I want you to go and do something. I want you to proclaim a message that I'm going to give to you. And then we read in verse 3. Scripture says Jonah did what? Jonah arose. Hallelujah. And he went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. See, in the past, he didn't go, he didn't do, he drug his feet, he delayed, and now we see him going. We see him doing it. We see him saying yes to God. God, whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do. Wherever you tell me to go, I'm going to go. Whatever you ask me to say, I'm going to say. I'll love, I'll forgive, I'll, I'll do whatever, God. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. And in verse 4, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey in. And then he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That was his message. I mean, it was simple, but it was powerful, right? It was from the Lord. It was an eight-word sermon. Wouldn't that be great if the preacher could do that this morning? Eight words. You'd be home watching the Seahawks right now. <laughs> Not happening. So many of us think we don't know enough to tell people about Christ. We don't know enough to explain the gospel message. We need more education. We need to know more scripture. Our lives not in alignment yet. We're so imperfect. We're so flawed. We discount all of that. And so people don't get to hear. People don't get to to feel the love. They don't get to see it. You don't need more than eight words. God gave Jonah eight words. Do you know seven or eight things, seven or eight words you could put together into a sentence that would help someone? Just your story, just how God intersected your life, the second chance he's given you. This guy travels hundreds of miles to this great intimidating capital all for eight words, and they weren't Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. They were eight words of God's judgment against this city. His street cred's on the line. I mean, smart people are going to think he's an idiot, right? Cool people will think he's an outcast. But he just tells what he knows. It's simple. It's direct. It's eight words. What if every one of us, as part of this Life Center North family, lived boldly? What if we loved and served boldly? We obeyed quickly. We lived by faith and allowed and made sure that our actions lined up with our words, that the things that we say we believe, that we live them out 
And in that congruency, there's an integrated spiritual life 24-7 that people see. And it's powerful. Simple fact of how God has transformed your life. And then we just allow that to be a bold witness in doing and in saying and talking. Why? Because we have good news. We have good news. We have the best news on the planet, that God is a God of second chance. Then there's verse 5, which for me, if I was living in that day, can you just imagine this would be one of the hardest verses, one of the hardest realities to really believe and accept. And it's this, the Ninevites believed God. They believed God. I mean, not just a mental ascent, mental gymnastics, affirmation that, yes, there's this supreme being, this intelligent designer. No, they believed him in their heart. And the scripture says they repented, they turned 180 degrees. The people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Absolutely miraculous. I mean, it would be like me telling you that Howard Stern has become a Christian. He has a new radio program on on, on sexual purity. <laughs> or it would be maybe more intense than that. It might be like all of Hollywood. Every actor and actress that you know, have, have they become Christians, and now they're, they're just declaring Christ in their influence. Or maybe it would be like the Vegas Strip. Every casino has turned into a church, and they're giving their money away to the poor. I mean, Nineveh was intense, This was a miracle. It was hard to believe that it had happened. They heard the word of the Lord and they repented. Jonah chapter 3, verse 6 through 9. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne. He removed his robe. He covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast Herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Who knows? God might give us a second chance. We are told in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that if we confess our faults, our sins to God, that Jesus Christ will forgive us all of our sin, and he'll cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. See, the good news is that God loves to give mercy, mercy and grace to the humble to the undeserving. Verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. I mean, sometimes those people who feel and look like they're the furthest away can actually be the closest. The people you think would never come to Christ might only be just this far away because we all work at 
posturing ourselves, don't we? That we're good, we don't need anything, life's going great, but on the inside we know something's missing. On the inside we know we're created to be in a relationship with the God who made us, and we crave it, we long for it, but we just don't like to admit it. God showed up. God poured out mercy on this evil uh, city of Nineveh. In verse 1, God showed Jonah mercy and grace. But then in verse 10, we see God showing Nineveh mercy and grace. And, and you would think that Jonah, with his eight-word sermon, would be incredibly excited that this had happened. The whole city was now fasting calling out on God, repenting of their sin. But it, when you read the very next verse, you find something almost tragic. In chapter 4, verse 1, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord, and he said, God, this is the very reason I didn't want to go to Nineveh, because I knew that if I did, there was this sneaky suspicion you would forgive them. You would show mercy on them, and they deserve your judgment. Now, that's brutal honesty. Because when you start the story and you think about Nineveh, you think the reason Jonah probably doesn't want to go is he's afraid for his own life, and we get all compassionate for him. But then what we find out in chapter 4, verse 1 here, is that the, the actual reason is he had prejudice, he had unforgiveness, he had bitterness in his heart towards them, and he did not want to see God's mercy or love pour out on them. Let me ask you a question. Who do you not want to see in heaven? Who do you not want to see there? Who do you feel like, if they're there, I don't want to be there? Who is your Nineveh? Your ex-wife who took the kids from you? Your ex-husband who cheated on you? Your boss who fired you? Your parent who abandoned you? Your relative who abused you? Your friend who betrayed you? Who's your Nineveh? The person who you just feel they deserve judgment? That's what's best for them. And they don't need any of God's mercy or grace, and you certainly don't want to be a part of them getting it because they just don't deserve it. Michelle Hamlin, one of our uh, Life Center North church family here, had her own story where God um, called her to do something that she didn't do for over 20 years, and uh, let's watch it together. My name is Michelle Hamlin, and I've been coming to Life Center North for the last six years. Kind of going back to my childhood when growing up, my parents got a divorce, and my dad decided to move on with his life. He decided that he didn't want to have anything to do with his family anymore. Basically, for 25 years, um, I had no contact with him. About five years ago, I was sitting in church, and um, Pastor Scott was talking about forgiveness. 
and I was sitting there and I was in a really good place in my life. I didn't have anybody that I felt had done me wrong. He said, he was talking about, well, a teacher or a brother or a pastor or a father that was not in your life. And I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> where did that come from? And so I wrote it down and I really didn't take it to heart. And then two days later, and it was on my birthday, it was the day that I had found out that my, do my dad was dying of brain cancer. And I went up, went there, and um, he was in the last stages of brain cancer, not able to speak. He could see me, he could feel me, and as I sat there with him, um, just this f flood of love and empathy went out for him where I never had that before. And he, um, he just held on to me and he wouldn't let go. And I was able to do something that I've never done for anybody ever and that was to forgive him for not being in my life. and to let him go in peace. I always run from everything that God asked me to do, and he, this time I didn't. So looking back um, the last five years and seeing what God has done in my life since obeying him and um, not running away from something that he's asked me to do, I've seen that because I had such a hard shell and I was so guarded that God is slowly stripping that away from me and I'm able to connect with people. That very next day after I gave my testimony, I remember hearing God loud and clear like I've never heard His voice before, that you are a precious daughter of mine and I never ever heard that from anybody. Thank you, Michelle, so much for sharing a part of your story with us and just the courage that that takes. There's something released, though, in our life and in the life of the other person when we forgive, when we love those who maybe hurt us, and when we bless those who we feel have not been in our court. See, Nineveh turned to God, and they received mercy. I turned to God as a rebellious teenager, and God poured out his mercy on my life. I didn't deserve it. I couldn't earn it. And yet, when I think of what God has done for me, it, it compels me to want to live that type of a life, to be able to love and forgive and bless other people. When I was growing up uh, in uh, Tucson, we would go down to a place called Rocky Point, which was uh, the Baja of California, and it was actually, or the Gulf of Mexico, and it was a place where we would camp and we would go with multiple families. And so our family, the Meads and the Wetmores and uh, the Haydens and different families would go and we would camp, set up tents. But the Wetmores always had a camper. And so I would go over by the camper and kind of hang out and want to kind of schmooze uh, Mr. Wetmore because he had the camper and thought maybe I could hang out in the camper sometime. And I never really got to. But while I was over there at the camper, I would always hear them get into arguments, and he would be, he was just upset a lot, and he would constantly be demeaning his kids, and 
and yelling at him, and, and especially his, his son, Matt, and uh, just putting him down. And I remember thinking, man, I'm so glad that guy is not my dad. And, well, when I was 11 years old, I had mentioned to you that uh, my parents got a divorce, and we kicked my dad out of the house because of an affair that he had. And so uh, my mom and the five kids, and uh, lo and behold, she got remarried. And guess who she married? Yeah, she married Terry Wetmore, the very guy that I vowed and that I didn't want as my dad and was so glad he wasn't, and now he was my stepfather. And I was so angry at that, and so, and so anytime I would hear him or see him demean anybody, my brothers, myself, my mom, uh, it would just build up in my heart. I would just get filled with rage. I finally, just within a year, I left. So at age 12, I moved in with my dad and his girlfriend, mainly because I didn't want to be around him, not because I wanted to leave my mom. And so uh, that went on for quite a while, and I became a Christian uh, when I was near 20. And, that, and I realized that I still had this residual kind of anger and, and bitterness towards him. Even though I began to think about him and forgive him and pray for him and stuff, uh, it just was still there. I remember one time I was praying. I was probably getting close to 30 years old, and I was praying, and, uh, and, and somebody said, hey, um, I noticed that you can't, you know, bless your stepdad. Is there something to that? And I, and I thought about it, and as I began to pray forgiveness over him, I began to try to bless him, just speak good things into his life in prayer. I realized I couldn't do it. And, and it was in that point that I really had to turn to God and ask God to soften my heart for him, ask God to change my heart, and ask God for the grace to not just forgive, because that's one step that we normally go through, but to actually get beyond forgiving or mouthing the words of forgiveness to the point of actually blessing, which I think is a point many of us need to be at with people we struggle with. One step is forgiveness, but to go beyond that to the place where you can actually speak blessing over their lives. So I began to do that. Over the course of the next year, I began to not just forgive again and again, but to bless him. And lo and behold, about a year or so later, he gave his heart to Christ. He went from being a religious hypocrite to becoming an authentic follower of Jesus. He began to change in the way that he would communicate and talk and deal with. He became a really good husband. He became a good father. He went back to his kids, his natural-born kids, and he repented to them and asked for forgiveness. He began to study the Bible. He began to go on mission trips. He began to just be a completely different person, and he's a person that is now in heaven, but a man that I am proud to say that he's my second father. It's amazing when God gets a hold of a life, what he can do to change someone. And it's amazing what happens when we enter into the process of God's redemptive story in people's lives by praying forgiveness and praying blessing over people. I don't know. Maybe it has something to do with them receiving God's love and mercy. Who is it that you need to forgive? Who is it that you need to pray blessing over in your life? to release them from your judgment, to release them from God's judgment. And just to pray, God, let your will be done in their life. Let, let them experience your love and your blessing and your mercy in the same way I have. Because let me, let me, let me 
guarantee you this, that if they do experience his love and his blessing and his mercy and they receive it, they will change. They won't be the person that you have an issue with today. They may end up being a person that you actually see the hand of God in their life. We're going to pray in just a moment. I just want to ask you those three questions one more time. Where is it that you personally need God to give you a second chance in your life? See, he only asks you to do one thing to receive that second chance, and it's just to be honest. It's just to receive it. It's just to repent, which means to turn to God, turn away from trying to control your own destiny and live for yourself, and you turn to God. That's called repentance. And when you do that, you quit running, and you start embracing God's plan for you, his purposes for you, and you receive the very love and the mercy that you need. See, some of us have been living in a rut way too long. And when you live in a rut too long, you know what it's called? It's called a grave. Turn to God this morning and receive new life. Receive the second chance that he has for you. Second question, who is your Nineveh? We all have people that we just don't want to see them experience the love and the mercy that God wants them to experience. Aren't you glad that he forgave you of all your pride, your self-righteousness, your sin, your selfishness? Let's let him flow through us today to be people who are people who forgive, people who bless, people who want to see every single person in our city, every person in the area that your life touches to come to faith in Christ to have them be there in heaven as redeemed people, new people, different people. Who do you need to forgive and begin to pray blessing over? I'm going to give us the opportunity to do that right now. Let's not delay. Let's not drag our feet. Let's not put it off for another day. Let's, let's do it today. Let's do it now, today. Would you bow your head with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you. We thank you, God, that you are filled with grace and mercy and that you're a God that gives second chances. Lord, that no matter how far we may drift or run, no matter what we've done with our life, no matter how we may have even hurt others, Lord, that your grace and your mercy extends to us today in this moment. Maybe you're here this morning and God has been speaking to you. I'm a God of a second chance. I'm giving you a second chance and I'm giving, I'm extending to the, that to you right now in this moment. Don't wait. Just receive it. Turn to Him. Accept Him. And for some, this is that day, that day of surrender, that day to relinquish the controls that you've tried to have on your own life and just Begin to trust Christ. Accept him and receive him. If that's you, I want to pray this prayer, but I'm asking you to pray it. And I, I want you to pray it from your heart, not from an emotional response, but from a point of I'm making a commitment today to be a disciple. I'm making a commitment today to no longer serve myself, but to serve God and to receive his love, receive his mercy, and to make him Lord in my life. Lord, that's what I'm praying. If that's you, would you pray that too? Lord, I'm, I'm asking you to come into my life. 
Jesus, I'm asking that you forgive me, that you pour in mercy and grace. I accept what you did on the cross as payment for my sin. And now I'm inviting you, God. Fill me with the power of your Holy Spirit. Give me that second chance. Help me live different. Help me walk in a new direction now. Filled. Filled with grace and filled with the power of God. Just in this quiet moment, if that was your prayer, I'm going to ask you to boldly just raise your hand to God, signifying, I prayed that, Mike, and I'm surrendering today to him. Thank you. Good for you. Yep, good, good. Yep, awesome. See you. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. These are real commitments. God, thank you. Thank you for each person, Lord, who's just saying yes to you today, Lord. And we just, as a church family, we just receive them. And we just thank you, God, that you're at work in their lives. And we're expecting, God, for you to just fill them with love and mercy and pour into them and pour over them and wash them and cleanse them. And, Lord, fill them with a hope for their future. God, pour into them, God, a new destiny that they didn't even know they had before. And give them the grace, Lord, in their life to be people who have the experience of a changed life and they begin to be forgivers. There's others of us here this morning that when I was talking about who is your Nineveh, who do you need to forgive, you know that there's somebody there and I'm inviting you today to forgive them. And I'm inviting you today to go beyond forgiveness to blessing them in the name of Jesus blessing them in their life, that they would experience grace and mercy to the fullness. And if that's you, I want to pray with you and invite you to pray along with me. And be ready to insert that person's name into your prayer. Lord God, thank you for forgiving me. For the idiot I've been in my life, thank you for forgiving me for my self-righteousness and my pride. Thank you for loving me and forgiving me of all my sin. Lord, right now I'm forgiving. I'm choosing the path of forgiveness. And I forgive you. Now you insert that name. I forgive you. And I bless you in Jesus' name. I want to see you in heaven. I want you to experience the joy of knowing Christ. I want you to know the love of God. And I pray that your life would turn around and I pray blessing over you. God, I pray that you would make those prayers surface time and time again in this upcoming week that we would be forgivers and those that bless, not curse, those that can even bless people who persecute us, and that we would see you move in a powerful way, Lord, in our families, in our friendships, and in our city. Lord, we want to see that. We know that you're calling us to participate and be a part of it, both in prayer and in the ways that we live our life. So, Lord, come. Let your will be done. Let your kingdom come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.